I want to encourage you uh, to find the book of Job in your Bible, if you can. And uh, it's, it's close to the middle, uh, or you can type it in on the Bible app where we've got some of our notes for our sermon. We are, uh, we are now in the back half of a series uh, through the book of Job entitled, It Doesn't Seem Like Love. And as we're going through this series, we've asked that uh, as a church family, uh, people that are engaged with this, to, to memorize Job 19.25. It says, but I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end, he will stand on the dust. And it's this great um, verse, it's this great, great thing that Job says in the middle of his trial and in the middle of his suffering that really holds this whole account together and reminds us of the good news about Jesus. And, uh, and so as we've gone through this series, we're thinking about this statement and how it applies in a variety of ways. Uh, and, and so uh, we've talked about what it means that, that Jesus is alive and the implications of that and how that helps us to answer this question of where do we come from? It's answered in, in who we are, human beings who are created to live. We uh, talked about a couple weeks ago uh, what it means when it says that he will stand on the dust. What does that mean? And, and, and we saw that that helps to answer our question of purpose. Why are we here? And, and we're here to, to serve him, and to do whatever he has put in front of us. And today, as we jump back into Job, we're going to think about uh, the question of destiny. We're going to think about where are we going. And we're going to find that it's answered in the fact that there's an end, at the end. And we're going to talk about what that phrase means here in Job 1925. We're going to do that from the context of Job chapter 13. And so you can follow along on the screen or in the Bible app or in your Bible, uh, Job 13, and we're going to read 13 through 28 and then pray for our time in the Word. This is Job speaking, okay? So if we, if we uh, a little context as you find it. Uh, Job's story, right? He's, he's in a terrible time of suffering. He's sitting with his friends and they're having this conversation, this lengthy conversation about, man, why are you going through this? And so this is Job's response to one of his friends, Job 13, 13 and following. It says, be quiet and I will speak. Let whatever comes happen to me. I will put myself at risk and take my life in my own hands. Even if he, he being God, kills me, I will hope in him. I will still defend my ways before him. Yes, this will result in my deliverance for no godless person can appear before him. Pay close attention to my words. Let my declaration ring in your ears. Now then, I've prepared my case. I know that I'm right. Can anyone indict me? If so, I will be silent and die. Only grant these two things to me, God, so that I will not have to hide from your presence. Remove your hand from me, and do not let your terror frighten me. And then call, and I'll answer, or I will speak, and you can respond to me. How many iniquities and sins have I committed? Reveal to me my transgression and sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Will you frighten a wind-driven leaf? Will you chase after dry straw? For, your, for you record bitter accusations against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and stand watch over all my paths, setting a limit for the soles of my feet. A person wears out like something rotten, like a moth-eaten garment. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it points us to your son, Jesus. And we pray that it would help us to do just that this morning, to, to find ourselves in relation to him. 
so that we can, can be ready when he comes and he returns to, to take us with him, to be with you for eternity. We thank you for the good news of the gospel that though we're sinners, we can find forgiveness and grace in what your son Jesus did on the cross. We pray all this in his name. Amen. I cheated. I got up in the middle of the night and I walked to the bathroom without my boot. Those are my words uh, this week as I walked into physical therapy and a friend asked me how things were going. And uh, Chad, uh, my physical therapist, overheard that and so later we're going through some of my treatments and he says to me, just be careful because your wink ankle already makes it hard to balance. And if you're doing this in the middle of the night, the darkness makes it worse. I texted him later on. And I said, I'm going to need you to tell me more about that because I'm a preacher and I'm always looking for illustrations. I thought, this is good. So the next appointment, I said, man, why is that true? Like, it makes total sense. You think about it. If you close your eyes, it's like, like you could stand like this, and then if you close your eyes, it's like, whoa, right? It happens. Um, for all of us, there's this reality that when things go dark, it's, it's much harder to find balance in life. And, and I said, I, I, like, help me understand that. And so he begins to just talk through it, right? And he says, you know, you, you think about it, subconsciously, you are always using your sight to gauge your relationship to the objects around you. And all that affects your balance. And so even while I'm standing up here, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about where the table is. I, I'm, I'm thinking about where you are. I'm thinking about the edge of the stage, hopefully. I haven't fallen off of it yet. Never say never, right? But, but he, he said, you know, subconsciously, your brain is always working to do those things. And as soon as it's dark and you can't see, as soon as it's dark and you can't see, all those things become much, much more difficult. You know, in moments where weakness is already present, in moments where weakness is already present, be it through sickness or stress or busyness, it's often compounded with this sense of darkness because I just can't figure out where God is in this situation. And as I processed all these things, it hit me, right, that we all lose our balance when we're in seasons of darkness. And we all have those seasons of darkness. We all end up asking questions like we read in Job 13, 24. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? We've all been there. All of us will be there again. There are just there's seasons of weakness where we're already stumbling, stumbling through life. And it seems like the light of God is just nowhere to be found. And in those moments, our, our stumbling through life becomes a complete loss of balance. And we find ourselves asking why and where. You know, as we come to these Sunday morning gatherings, it's always an interesting uh, ex experience for me because I begin asking myself, what is it that, that our family, the people that are going to be there on Sunday, Lord, what is it that we're going through? And I don't know everyone's story. I never do, but I look forward to learning them. And, and I just begin to think about the ways that, that this might be affecting our stories. You know, maybe for some of us, a child has been added to our family. And in the hectic nature of that season, you just lost sight of things. And before long, God seems to be a distant reality. 
And we see the same equation at play, right? Weakness plus darkness leads to a loss of balance. For others, maybe it's the stress of school or, or work, changes at work uh, that, that have just weakened you and they've changed your family dynamics. And, and you know that, that the Lord is light and the Lord brings light, but the light that the Lord brings fades into this distant third, fourth, or fifth place priority because you're working harder to fix the problems yourself. Weakness plus darkness leads to a loss of balance. Maybe it's something completely unexpected, something that you never could have accounted for or prepared for. It just shakes up your world. And so you give that situation emergency attention only to see so many of your regular routines and your norms interrupted. And, and as you do, you begin to wonder, where, where are you, God, and, and why have you allowed this? Weakness plus darkness leads to a loss of balance. For some, it just happens in the everyday relationship of our marriage. Marriage that started with a foundation of love and maybe even Christ-centeredness, but as life goes on, you realize how much work it is to keep loving someone. Like, it's hard work to love someone day in and day out. It wears you out. And as you get worn out and as that weakness comes, you wonder why God would let something that brought you so much joy will become something that casts a shadow on all the areas of your life. Weakness plus darkness leads to a loss of balance. You lose a loved one. Maybe through death. Maybe they're a prodigal running from the Lord. But you lose them. It's debilitating. You know the grief is coming. But wow. The dark night of the soul, is, it just seems to have no end. They never completely go away. And you're like, God, where are you? Why are you hiding your face? Weakness plus darkness leads to a loss of balance. You know, several of these scenarios, or, or maybe even ones that I haven't even mentioned or touched on, they just seem to string together. Sometimes that happens in life. It feels like a boxing match, jab after jab after jab. And they weaken you until this big hook causes everything to go dark. You stumble to the mat. Because weakness plus darkness leads to a loss of balance. Seasons of darkness, seasons where we wonder where God is, they begin to make, they make, they make us leery of, of trusting or even attempting to worship and serve God. David the, the great psalmist and king expresses it this way in Psalm 13, 1 through 4. He says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me an answer, Lord, my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. Can you relate? Have you lost your balance? And as we ask those questions, we, we come back to this verse that sits in the middle of the book of Job that's revealing the good news of Jesus in the midst of suffering. But I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the end, He will stand on the dust. You say, well, at the end of what? At the end of my suffering? At the end of my life. God 
And subsequently, each person of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they have no beginning and, and no end. God is the Alpha and the Omega, the A and the Z. And so we can rule out that this isn't about his end. It's about ours at the end. This is about our destiny. And when we try to see our destiny in the middle of dark times, it's impossible. When things are dark, we can't see the end. And yet, to expect the unexpected is something unique to our humanity. It's part of what makes us human. To hold on to this idea that, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, it's a sign that we're human. And this is called hope. Ultimately, we need hope to get us to the end. We're hoping, yearning for something better than our current reality. And, and as we lean into that hope, expecting the unexpected from God, we begin to take risks because of that hope. And that, that's called faith. Job knows this to be true. Even as he asks the question, God, why are you hiding your face? He knows that this is true. Check out verse 15. He says, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. I will still defend my ways before him. And so I want us to ask the question, how do we expect the unexpected? How do we keep hoping in God to do the unexpected even in the middle of the dark? In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's talking to them about the end. He tells them that no one knows when the end will come, not even he himself. And he begins to compare the end to the days of Noah and the flood, saying that people will be going about their usual business when, boom, it happens. The end. And then he says this in verses 42 through 44. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day our Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Isn't that interesting? And so true. I mean, Jesus' word is true, and what he says is true, but you just think about that. If you knew that a thief was coming to your house, don't tell me how you would be ready. I don't want to know. You know, in a sense, if you begin to really process this, if you're miserable now, if you're miserable in the dark, imagine how miserable you'll be if you aren't ready when Jesus comes at the end. At the end, he will be there. He's coming for you. And the question is, will you be ready for him? We prepare for so many things, but are we staying prepared for Jesus? You say, well, what, is it, like, what does that even mean? How... How can you be ready for Jesus, especially when you don't know when he's coming? I am uh, I'm beyond pumped for church camp this summer. Uh, there are, uh, last count, there were almost three times as many kids and students from Christ Community signed up to go to camp this year than there were last year. And I can't wait because it's, uh, it's an incredible experience. It's life-changing. And uh, Katie and Kenny are doing an awesome job of, of just getting us ready for that. And as they've been excited about it this spring, uh, it's made me uh, remember my church camp days. So I went to uh, this little camp called Camp Ileana, and I, I remember back in those days, uh, I'm, I'm going to date myself a little bit, right? So mom would drop me off, 
she'd take me to camp. And when you got dropped off at Camp Ileana, you do all your registration stuff, and then she would say, the, the, the lady would say, now how many dollars in canteen cards would you like? Okay, so canteen cards were these blue cards, and uh, they had like different dollar amounts, or back then you could like actually get a candy bar for 25 cents. It was amazing. I don't know what's happened. But they had like all these different currency levels, and each card was worth $5. And so uh, throughout the week, when it was time for, for canteen, for snacks, you had to like keep your canteen card ready and you had to use that money throughout the week. And so the parents, my mom, this is what she, she would, it was usually $20 worth for me. And she would hand me $20 in canteen cards and she would say, listen, this is more than enough to get you through the week. More than enough. And then it was this crazy job for me to try and figure out how to not spend $20 on pop and candy bars in like the first two days. Free reign, right? Like I got $20 to spend on, and, and like that was, like those canteen cards had to make it for the whole week. You know, I think, I think we can learn a little bit of something about how we are to operate and be ready for Jesus as we think about budgeting those canteen cards. When you turn from your sins and you place your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God, you know what happens next? It's almost as if he's dropping you off for a lifetime of camp, a lifetime of learning to walk with and follow him, of learning to, to look more like him and, and, and be sanctified and made holy. He's dropping you off, and he places inside of you enough canteen cards to make it. And those canteen cards are called the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, I'm giving you more than enough, more than enough to be satisfied through the rest of this life as you walk with me. Now, that might mean on Thursday you feel like you can't go to canteen because you spent too much on Wednesday. I don't know. But there's more than enough here. You see, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you confess that he is the Son of God and he has forgiven you and by grace has, has adopted you into his family, he has given you a new heart and a new spirit. And that spirit isn't just any spirit, it's his spirit. Ray Ortland said, The Holy Spirit is not a performance-enhancing drug for Olympic Christians. The Spirit is life for the dead, strength for the weak, hope for the exhausted, cleansing for the filthy, wisdom for the wayward. Our dear friend, the Holy Spirit is for us. It's for us. It's enough. He is enough. He gets us to the end. God has given you everything you need to accomplish everything He's called you to through His Spirit. He sees everything that you're facing and He knows he knows that he has strengthened you by his spirit and you can make it through this darkness. And as a result, that darkness is preparing you. It's getting you ready for when Jesus comes. You say, how do I stay ready for Jesus? Man, you learn to walk with the spirit. This is so freeing. So freeing, and we're going to talk about why it's freeing because all of a sudden, instead of being broken by the demands of the world to produce or to be happy or to just get out of the darkness or to just be okay, instead of being pressured into that, we can just begin to simply focus on being faithful to the one who has given us more than enough instead of worrying about being fruitful. 
you today. Whatever season you're in, whatever darkness you're walking through, be faithful before worrying about being fruitful. And then there's this dialogue that kicks in in our head. Yeah, but Blake, I don't have the discipline to do that. I don't have the discipline to just walk away from things. I'm not going to be able to stick with it. I'm going to walk out of here and I'll do it for like a day and then like it's just going to get bad. I'm not sure that I can make it. I'm not good at faithfulness. Self-discipline isn't my thing. You know what God says to that? He says, of course. That's why I gave you my spirit. Set yours aside. That's the discipline. The discipline isn't to do good things. The discipline is to die to your spirit so that his spirit can live through you. The core discipline is to die daily. And the discipline of dying daily delivers you to your destiny. It makes sure that you get to the end walking faithfully with the Lord. If you get back, right, to the most basic steps that you can take in the darkness, it will carry you through to the light. You know what Chad said about being careful as you walk to the darkness? As he began to think about that, I began to think about how I walked to the bathroom those nights. Little bitty shuffle steps, right? It's not big steps. And so often we forget that when we're in seasons of darkness, it doesn't mean that we should quit. It doesn't mean that, that you can't do it. It just means that your next step and the step after that and the step after that may be very simple. You've got to get back to the basics, the basic of dying to yourself. J.D. Greer uh, wrote a blog post this week, and he was talking about the idea he said, when I was growing up, he said, my youth pastor would always talk about our relationship with Christ. And he said, you know, when you realize that Christ has given you salvation, what you do in return is you give uh, him a blank check. He said, I'm getting older, and I start to use that illustration these days, and people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I've never seen a check. He said, so I've had to update my illustration. He said, Whenever you realize that the Lord has given you salvation, he said, what do you give him in return? He said, open your Venmo app. <laughs> he said, open your Venmo app. He said, you know, I've realized as uh, Christians in America, we've fallen in love with the idea of a, a gift card love for God. It's like, oh, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me your spirit. Here's a gift card for my Sundays. He said, no, it's not that way it works. That's not the way it works. He said, well, maybe it's like a, a Venmo exchange, right? Like, oh, Jesus, thank you for my salvation. Here's $20 on my Venmo. No. He said, Here, when, when you realize, fully realize that, that the Son of God, who has never had a beginning, never had an end, has always been there, and who became a human and died to forgive you of your sins, when you realize that he has done that for you, you don't just give him some money in your Venmo. You give him the password. And he is willing to make a withdrawal at any time for any amount because you are so grateful for what he has given to you. To be faithful is to give God your password. It's not to see how much you can accomplish with what he's given to you. It's not to figure out how to get out of the darkness on your own. 
is to take that simple, basic step of dying to yourself daily. Romans 12.1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Say, okay, this sounds great, dying to yourself daily, awesome. But what we don't often realize is that this changes everything. If we begin our day putting aside our spirit and our efforts and picking up the spirit of God and allowing that to be the thing to listen, it changes everything. Spiritually, it causes you to question, am I putting in the soul work that allows me to face whatever comes my way? Am I giving God my password so that he can rewire my soul? Like, he can change me. He can make me different. Emotionally, am I putting in the work to grow in my self-awareness so that I can better serve those around me instead of overreacting to every problem? You see, it's not about you managing your emotions. It's about you dying to yourself so that he can change what comes out of you. In terms of leadership, am I leading myself well so that when opportunities to lead others come, I can do it for the glory of God? Am I giving God my password so that we can work together on living life his way? In terms of biblical knowledge, am I digging into God's word and and spending time with my community group thinking about tough questions so that I'm prepared to at least start a conversation? Am I doing that? Am I giving God my password so that he can give me the right answers when I need them? Financially, am I, am I disciplining myself to a realistic budget so that, so that when opportunities to give generously come, I can do it without regret or guilt and instead do it with joy? Am I giving God my password so that he can set up a firewall that keeps out greed and the lust for more? You see, these disciplines that come into our life, we think that we've got to do them all on our own, but the reality is, is it comes back to this core discipline, this, this shuffling of our feet to say, you know what, I'm going to lay my spirit aside. I'm going to lay me aside. I'm going to die to me so that the Spirit can live in me. You say, how do you do that? It can be as simple as as spending a few moments in silence before God in the morning. Before you pick up the phone, before you roll out of bed, it's like, you know what, Lord? I need you. I need you. I'm going to leave myself right here in this bed, and I'm, man, like, lead me today. I need your help. I don't know how to have this conversation. I don't know what I'm going to do with this problem, student. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the day of my marriage. I don't know what I'm going to do, Lord. I need you. It could be as simple as starting that habit in your daily life. It could be asking a trusted friend to help you see the areas of your life where you aren't dying to yourself. It's so easy to become blinded to those things. Is there a trusted friend that you can go to and say, help me to see where, where I'm trying to live life my way instead of the Lord's way? And for those of you who are married, man, too often we forget that the Lord has made us one. He's made us one. And this practice of dying to ourselves, it has to, it has to consume our marriages. It comes into that realm as well. And so we've got to have conversations together about what everyday faithfulness looks like. How do we be faithful to one another in the daily things, in the things that are mundane? What can we expect of one another so that lasting fruit can can come from our marriage? And knowing these expectations, right, if we can clarify those with our spouse, knowing those empower you to die daily, not only in front of Jesus, but for your marriage. You know, this is so tricky because there's an alternative that we really, really, really like. The alternative is to say, you know what, yeah, I love Jesus. 
but I can do this. I've got this. If I just work a little harder, if I, I'm going to get after it. Today's, it's a new, I've got this. You think you're good enough to discipline yourself. Man, we love that one. It's like I'll read my own press clippings. I'll be a better person by next week. And you think a little hard work is all it takes. You know, when you try to discipline yourself without the Holy Spirit, the results are something like what Job describes in verse 28. A person wears out like something rotten, like a moth-eaten garment. Today, if you're tired, if you're worn out, if when I start to talk about disciplining yourselves in, the, in these areas of your life, you're like, I've, I'm, I just don't have any energy to do that. Can I invite you to die to yourself so that Christ can live? Because we know that our Redeemer lives. And at the end, at the end, He will stand on the dust. I don't know about you, but I just want to be ready to be with Him. And I stay ready by being faithful, not fruitful. He doesn't need your good effort. He doesn't need your good work. He doesn't need you to, to be hard and what, like whatever. He doesn't need you. He just wants you to be faithful. Stop worrying about being fruitful. Story has been told of a man who found a wallet uh, lying on a street. He picked up the wallet. And he opened it trying to find out who that wallet belonged to so that he could return it. And as he did, he noticed there was a, an, a letter tucked into the wallet. It looked to be rather old, and he picked it up. And it was dated 60 years prior to the day. And he took it out, and he began to read, Dear Michael. And the letter was a love letter. But the love letter ended with tragic news that despite the fact that Hannah loved Michael, Hannah's parents wouldn't allow her to continue seeing him. She had signed it, left her address at the bottom of the letter. And Michael, whose wallet was laying in the street, had kept that letter all these years. So this guy that picks it up, he's like, well, I mean, it's kind of inspiring. I'm going to find, like, I just need to return this wallet. And so as he, f he looked at Hannah's address, he thought, you know, it's a long shot, but I'm just going to go to this address and see what I can find out. So he goes to the address, and as he expected, the family had long moved from there. But the current residents knew who she was. And they said that um, her mother, they knew that her mother was in a, a nursing home nearby. And so he goes to that nursing home, and as he goes there, uh, the nursing home said, well, sadly, her mother has passed. But ironically, we've heard your story, like, ironically... Hannah herself is in a nursing home just a few blocks away. You might try there. So the man goes there, and he found Hannah. He found her on the third floor, and he sat and he learned the account of Hannah and Michael, 16-year-olds in love, but prevented by their parents. And with tears in her eyes, Hannah just began to explain how she had never gotten married because there had never been anyone quite like Michael Goldstein. So as the man listened, he was overwhelmed and inspired. And he realized he got a new piece of information. Michael Goldstein. He had a last name. 
And so he began to walk out of the nursing home that day thinking, I've got a chance. I can find Michael Goldstein. Well, the security guard at the door had overheard some of the story. And he noticed the man leaving. He said, well, what'd you find out? What's the update? And he, he shared what he'd learned from Hannah. And he said, brother, there's a Mike Goldstein on the eighth floor. So the man turned around and went back up to the eighth floor. He finds the room for Mike Goldstein. He walks in and he said, Sir, did you by chance lose a wallet? He said, I did. I was out for a walk the other day and I lost it. And the man sheepishly told him he'd read the letter. He said, But there's something you should know. I found Hannah. Is she okay? Michael wanted to know, where is she? The man said, come with me. And as they were walking, Michael Goldstein began to explain to the man that he had never married. There had never been anyone quite like Hannah. He'd kept the letter for those 60 years. Tears ran as the two met and embraced there in Hannah's room. And three weeks later, the man who had simply wanted to return a wallet was invited to one of the most special weddings one could imagine. That's the story of faithful love. Faithful love. You know, when it seems there's no end in sight to God's silence, we have to remember that God promises to be there at the end. At the end. Jesus is forever faithful to us, his bride. There's no one else he desires. All of that, in spite of the fact that we have turned against him again and again by our sin. And you know what our sin says? Our sin says to us that it just can't be. We, broken people, can't be married to the holy and righteous Son of God. And yet, his love remained faithful all the way to the cross. He was going to find a way for us to be together again and forever. Not wavering. He held on to the hope that just as he had chosen us, we would continue to hold faithfully to him no matter what happened, no matter how dark our days might be. You see, our destiny, you and me, our destiny is to be with Jesus for eternity, to be with him at the end. So today, I want each of us to take the same next step. The same next step. Give him our password. Die to your spirit. Give him our entire lives. Not just a gift card, not just a, a little piece. Give him all of it. I'm going to pray with us and just walk us through that process. And I don't know what it looks like for you, but, man, I love, I love the way Wes started today. Like, I just love when the Spirit does this, like when he's leading. Man, would you lean in with your heart? Man, would you sing? Would you just give him a little bit more? Would you give him everything today? And so I just want to pray with us as, as we close to, to lean that way. Say, what does it look like to give him my password today? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, um, we, are, we are human, and we don't even begin to understand 
how faithful you are. You never waver. You never question. You never, you're always there. You are faithful. And we are not. And so, God, we just we want to give you our faithfulness. We want to give you our whole lives. We want to give you our password. Not a little bit. Not a lot. All of it. And so, Jesus... For each person here, God, we just, we just want to take a moment. We know you can hear all of us, and you respond one person at a time. We want to lift our heart to you and say, you've got it all, God. Whatever it is, you've got it all. Jesus, we want to be ready. Help us to keep dying to ourselves so that your spirit can live in us. Amen.